to do. Hey, this is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success series. That was I've Got Love from the legendary Tony Award winning actress Melba Moore. She won that Tony for Pearly, an original book adaptation into play by Ossie Davis. We talk about her legendary career in new music. Also, the decades of success she's had in the entertainment field. Melma and I are coming at you right now. Well, welcome aboard. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here tonight. There's so much I want to ask. When uh, your name came up, I was like, wow, we're talking about Broadway legend and many other opportunities in showbiz that had not even been tapped yet. So it's an honor having you here. 
Well, thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be with you, too. You are a Jersey girl like me. I'm from New Brunswick. Tell our audience where you're from originally. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I was born in New York City, but um, I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, so I'm a Jersey girl. Hey, hey. I am so interested in guests who are first in many genres. The, the show Building Abundant Success, what we do is we highlight people who have had um, careers not only new careers, but established careers, and especially someone like yourself, who is a Tony winner, with a play written by the legendary Ozzie Davis, Howard University alum. <laughs> and oh, um, wow. Yes, I'm a Howard University alum. I was like, wow, this is going to be really cool. You went to, to do Broadway and, and many other things. But where did young Melba see herself Growing up, uh, did you really want to just be in show business? What was your your journey? Well, once my mother married my stepfather, who was a musician, and they worked together, and uh, my stepsister and brother and my two brothers came along. But my, my father, my stepfather made us all take piano lessons, and they rehearsed music in our home, and I kind of realized it was in my DNA. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just wanted to be in music. I, I loved that, that environment. I didn't really have uh, a clear idea of what I wanted to do until I got to my uh, junior high school. And I had already been immersed in music in school. I was in public. First, in, in New York, I was in uh, Catholic school. But in Newark, uh, you had chorus. You had, you know, uh, music in your classroom. Um, you could join the choir. You could join the band. You know, you could get involved with music. So by the time it was time to go to high school, I determined I didn't want to just go to public high school. I wanted to major in music and just stay involved in music. So I went to art, uh, art music high school, and then um, it was time to go to college. And I thought, well, I want to stay in music. So <laughs> I majored in music education at Montclair Teachers College. And then, of course, once I got my degree, um, I really wanted to see if I could perform. But mother and daddy said, don't do like us. Get a real job and said, you know, Teach, teach school. That's a real job. And so I did that for a couple of years. And then afterwards, I said, well, Daddy, that's your dream. It's not mine. Could you help me get into the industry? You're, you guys are having fun. You're doing what you want to do. And so that's how I, I determined I would be in the industry. But I never had a vision that I would be a star. In terms of the music industry in which you learned about the roots of jazz, um, vocal, um, vocal technique, what really stands out during your mom and stepfather's time in the music industry uh, vocally? Because, I mean, you're learning from the roots, really. Absolutely right. And I don't think I've had an opportunity to talk, to, talk about it from that way. When, when you think about, for instance, I loved piano. I thought I was going to be a piano player. Then, because my mother uh, did recordings, and in some cases, we sang backup for her. Um, and I remember, you know, by the time I was in junior high school or so, people were saying, well, gee, she has a nice voice. And I remember my mother mother just saying to me, well, no matter what you do, you have to move people's hearts. And uh, remembering uh, watching her, how she sang with her whole heart and soul with such passion. And um, then, you know, I had some of the best vocal teachers in um, high school and in college. And I remember in college, um, 
my teacher's name was Ben Wilkes. And, of course, in college, you, you studied classical music, and that was my natural tendency. That was my natural voice. I was a little soprano. But um, he, respecting the fact that I was a black person and that, you know, our roots were in the church, essentially. Mine weren't particularly in uh, the in gospel church. I, I was raised Catholic. But respecting that and uh, having Negro spirituals be, you know, very much part of, of classical training, he encouraged me to try to develop uh, my own way of singing anything and, and give me um, confidence in exploring that. And so um, I think that's why I'm so diverse now, because I was encouraged and had an environment of diversity from the beginning. Yes, and during your time of growing up, you saw and most likely heard jazz go to swing music to rhythm and blues, which turned into rock and roll, and then you're rolling into these genres every five years if you study music. So that's your growing up time. By the time you're in the industry, you've got um, a lot of experimentation going on in terms of types of music, genres of music, blending of different types right. of music. Talk about that, because you, 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 my mom was a teacher, but you, you had to get out and uh, actually find your own voice in your own way. What was it like okay. in the 60s, and, and how did that influence you? Because that's, there's a lot of creativity there. A lot of creativity. I talked about what happened at home, but let's talk about what everybody was exposed to, whatever you saw on TV or whatever you heard on the radio. I mean, there was Judy Garland, there was uh, Diane Carroll, there was Eartha Kitt, there was Pearl Bailey, there was Ella Fitzgerald. <laughs> uh, that is a whole lot. Uh, there was Doris Day. <laughs> uh-huh. um, th- then as you go on down the, the road, there's, you know, um, Aretha Franklin, there's Dion Warwick, there's, and I could go on and on and on and on. So we have, now that you mentioned it to me, when, you, when you're growing up in it, yeah, you know it. But to be able to look back on it now and define it uh, is quite an interesting thing, especially if you've majored in in music, uh, now you've learned how to teach it. After that, now you, I I started in the industry as a backup singer for recordings uh, because as my stepdad was taking me around to try to get me into the industry, one of the people I met was Valerie Simpson in somebody's um, publishing office. Um, wow. Bill building or someplace on Broadway. Those people go to have meetings and find agents and, you know, do a lot of different things in the industry. Um, get representation, um, get jobs, whatever. And we exchanged numbers and I got into the recording industry as a backup singer. So I'm skipping a lot, but, um, my education helped a great deal, uh, because I could read music, I could, um, make up parts. Backup parts, so the same jingles, you know. So you had a great deal of diversity. When you say um, backup for the popular recording stars, that was very diverse. Because um, I'm trying to think of who I'm not as well. Whatever, what, what uh, music on the radio, especially for black artists, was kind of popish in a way because everybody okay. was trying to fit. In. We didn't really have. Um, FM radio until Hal Jackson came along with BLS and we had some real core, hardcore R&B. That was later on. But um trying to think of it. It was, it was very kind of pop, rock, and rollish. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was good. 
but, but my opportunity to get in, into Broadway came there. And the first show that I did was Hair. And, of course, what they, they did was they were the first show to bring popular or rock music. I would say rock. They, they thought it was R&B, but they were white. They didn't know. <laughs> they thought they were R&B, but it was rock. But it, the, the point is they brought the style of contemporary music into the um, the scoring and the the, the 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 basis for a Broadway show onto the Broadway stage for the first time. So you actually you know what was it like? And they were hippies. So um, they did parodies uh, on, on American society, and there were little vignettes that were strung together to, to make a whole story um, hang together. I say that mm-hmm. because. Um, I had some dental work, so I, I was out for quite some time before so I came back and watched the show because I never knew what the heck it was about. And then I said, I said, oh, it's, it's about they're against the war and they're against racism and they, they're for peace. And this is what the hippie movement is about. So, oh, I mean, because for instance, they had a black woman do a comedy uh, version of uh, a- Abraham Lincoln doing the Gettysburg Address. Wow. I mean, for an example. Mm-hmm. I'm giving you that as one example of what it was like for me. It was very exciting. I was kind of in a bubble because of where I found myself at the time. Um, when I when I say in a bubble, I, as a school teacher, I was not allowed to wear my hair natural. Mm-hmm. But in but hair, then, you could uh-huh. get you could get naked and wear your wow. hair. Wow. <laughs> Wow. And at that time, and in in not just the music industry, because they had a great soundtrack, the uh, Broadway industry, um, a lot of the themes of that day were in that play. But just in, maybe um, uh, you, you could tell me, the industry seemed like it was willing to do more experiment. It wasn't um, corporatized yet, the music industry, was it? Uh, the music industry. Um, I think it was. Even the I Broadway. Think, was it, was it I, very I think, corporatized? It's very, very much corporatized. But I think what happened was uh, um, Hair was an example of people taking astrology seriously. So they mm-hmm. they went by their spiritual beliefs. Mm-hmm. And they had good corporate backing. Mm-hmm. And they, the the play was a success. People enjoyed it. They they loved it. So that's awesome. why they had. I'm saying I think that's why they had the freedom to then express what their political views were. Okay. Yeah, because um, in looking at a Broadway production of Hair, and uh, it being one of the first of its types to be out, and you being in that cast. Um, must have been a big deal for its time. Uh, you're Huge. a trailblazer in that. Yes, indeed. Yes, you're a trailblazer. Well, I didn't recall that. that anyway, but, but the fact of the matter is I came along at an incredible time and had some incredible windfalls. And, you, you know, looking back, hopefully I was talented and everything, but I didn't even have a manager. Wow. Now, that's that's interesting. Wow, you must have had some serious connections. I and mean, when you mentioned Valerie Simpson and her husband, Nick Ashford, but they were you know, they're up and coming. Yes, indeed. It just was meant to be. It happened that way. Right. 
Right. And uh, those are like divine connections along the way that right. uh, happen for you. Um, how long between hair and pearly? It was immediate because one of the uh, matter of fact, the girl who the black girl who Abraham Lincoln was very now and she says, uh, "No, you don't even know how to audition. You didn't audition to get in this play. You need to learn how to audition." And she says, I audition all the time. And she told me about auditions for uh, what became a second play, Pearly. And she told me how to go about it. And, you know, some of the lingo and everything like typecasting, which means, you know, try to look like the part, get, get a copy of the script and learn it. And um, But the reason I got the role was I had not studied acting. I didn't, I didn't know how to audition even, was the character, Ludy Belgosimir Jenkins, was exactly the type of person that raised me because my mother being a professional singer and a single parent, she was gone all the time. So my nanny trained me to, to be Ludaville because I was raised on uh, 108th Street in Central Park West. I hadn't even been down south. Wow. So you, you see why I believe in divine Divine. Oh, yes, indeed. So you had the background of what that personality type would actually be. And right. the song written for you, This Is Love, um, is a standout even today. How did you get into that cast? Take us back, because there are a lot of also famous actors that were in the original cast of Pearly. Right. Well, I actually went down an audition for it. Awesome. How many years were you with the original Broadway cast doing Pearly? Uh, Pearly, I think I stayed about a year. Okay. Okay. Then I, I got some recording contacts, and I started to get into uh, recording. Get back to you're coming out of the um, Broadway, and now you are hitting the record industry. What was their vision for your career at that time? What type of music? Well, the songs that we did were some songs from Hair and from Pearly and some songs were kind of along that genre because I think they thought that was my style. But in reality, I hadn't developed a style yet. And so uh, after that, some things happened in my life. I met my uh, then-husband, Charles Huggins. His background was music, and he was a black man, and he was from the South. So his focus was going to be, well, how do we get you in R&B music so that you can be played on the radio and you can have a bass? So then we tried to get some songwriters and producers that would put me in a genre that would give me popular music and help me to actually develop a style. So one of the first people we got was Van McCoy. Wow. Of course, that would be the dance genre. Uh-huh. Yes, and I, 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 what I'm thinking is it helped me to start to try to develop my uh, vocal style to to fit, you know, into commercial music. Commercial for that time, you're talking a little right. before disco, a little before dance. Um, well, around dance, yeah, because uh, while I was in um, hair, uh, gee. I'm trying to think. Um, oh, Happy Day was out. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, lots of R&B music and kind of you know Jimi Hendrix. Was, well, he was like really hard rock. I mean, 
Janis Joplin, I mean, she's white, but she was singing, you know, blues. But they were trying to mix the genres. But, it, but if you listen to uh, uh, radio, you would hear, I, I guess, what I would call pop. Okay. You'd hear, you'd hear some songs from uh, musicals, but you'd hear contemporary, I, I don't know what to call it, pop, I guess. Right. With top 40 pop, that kind of thing. Yeah. Or, I guess it would be <laughs> 70. Yeah. The corporate pop, I, top 40. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I guess I don't remember what to call it. I, I knew what it so long ago. <laughs> well, the reason why I ask that is because you can do just about any genre. From You learn the roots, and that's why I started with the, the jazz and vocal. If you know how to use your voice. Uh, right, right. You can pretty much right. almost sing anything. You may uh, stand out in certain genres, but you can just about sing anything, which you can't, even which you do. Um, but the music industry for the 70s, the reason why I mentioned Buddha and Neil Bogart and, you know, you've had the whole Donna Summer thing. But then again, you've got somebody golden like a Melba Moore with that voice that kind of pulls you in on certain words and certain phrases in songs. And that's very rare that got you noticed. So that's why I was asking about the music industry, and especially being a black woman at that time. It's one thing to have, um, I guess, a, I think it's an aberration of R&B, disco, um, a beat in the back where you're singing the same phrase over and over again. It's another thing to be an actual vocalist, which you are. Right. So that, right. that's why I thought I'd ask about the 70s, because after a while we, we started getting basically the same lullaby, <laughs> three or four uh, standards. One, <laughs> one of the things I remember about uh, This Is It is it used by high belting range. Uh-huh. But it still met the requirements of just repeating the same thing over and over and over. This is it. Ah, this time I love. So I'm belting up there so you can hear the energy. But that's the thing. You know how to use your voice. Right. That's a true vocalist. Well, but I guess what I'm saying is you also need the, the songwriters and the producers to, to understand that, too, because they have to help you. Translate whatever it is you're, you're trying to do. Transforming uh, uh, music styles and genres. Uh, you recorded in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and you recorded many, many a hit. This is it, which I love. But, you know, Falling, I love too. Coming at you, you know, you stepped into my life. There uh, also duets with Freddie Jackson. And um, over the years of 70s and 80s, um, what do you see the differences in the music, how you were perceived in the 70s and then going into the 80s? What was the biggest difference? There were the songwriters and the producers. And um, I'm a late bloomer. My voice was very, very high. I didn't have any bottom. But, you know, everybody matures and the voice gets fuller. And, you know, generally they lose the top and middle range and gets lower. But because I, I'm a technician... Um, I, I got the bottom in the middle, but the high is still there. So the, the voice is still developing during all these times, I, and I'm still able to keep all of that 
And some of my high range is still coming, but that's, those are techniques that I've learned over the years. But also the music changed. Now we have um, Stevie Wonder with the synthesizer, and we have Kashit with the synthesizer, and that, that big sound with Evelyn King. And uh, we went and I went, well, my then husband went and got me Kashif. And also wow. um, we uh, worked very hand in glove with McFadden and Whitehead. And they uh, tailor made some incredible songs for me. As a matter of fact, the duet I did with Freddie Jackson was, was specially written for us by McFadden and Whitehead. So that, those are the differences that, that I had to help develop my um, vocal technique and style, and the music that that um, was made for my style and for, uh, well, my protege was Freddie Jackson. I didn't teach him how to sing, but I helped um, help him develop his career. And we were good, 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 good friends. So when we sang together and we had um, these producers and songwriters write these things for us, they, they were really, we were, an ensemble in terms of all of us working together to develop this for the 80s for us. You know, so, and then I think each record company in each area, like if it was Detroit or if it was uh, San Francisco, not San Francisco, but L.A., um, Chicago, each had their own feeling. Their own, Philadelphia had their own feeling, their own style, and New York had its own. Awesome. The industry now... Where do you see yourself? Because I know you've been on Broadway and you've done various, various plays and you've met many people. What are some of the memorable people that you've been able to work with? Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. You're probably going to say all of them, but. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's a hard one. Uh, because, because there have been so many. And I'll be honest with you. My focus and my attention right now is on my current album. And um, so I don't really spend a lot of time reminiscing, except if somebody asks me a question, then I'm trying to think, and, of course, it escapes me. So I mean, there have been so many. I hate to be vague like that, but my mind just, just wasn't there. Really? Uh, because when I look back, you know, of course, you see uh, a name that you don't hear very much, which is Cleavon Little and Sherman Hemsley and uh, Clifton oh, Davis. Oh, you mention them and help me remember them, I can help yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because when I was looking at that, I was like, wow. I was like, all these people. Um, Eartha Kid, I mean, oh, you know, Gladys Knight, you name it, Dionne Warwick. Um, you were there when many of these uh, were just in the verge of becoming very popular. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, when you, you mentioned, mentioned Gladys. Yeah. Instance, yeah. I, I remember, uh, I don't know if I was on the Las Vegas or somewhere. Well, well first of all, her now, um, I guess, personal assistant and um, a hair person was, was my, my one of my best friends and my hair person, Blondie Brown. So, she she connects she connected with me she connected me with, connected me with Gladys and let her know that I was her fan and that I was on Broadway and who I was so that we became good friends early in my career and hers and so I was really really excited about just spending time with her sometimes and also um, the Staple family and um, uh, you mentioned Cleavon Little I absolutely adore Cleavon I was so brokenhearted when he passed away he was too young to pass away. But, um, well, Cleavon, for instance, because he was the, the star and my male lead and everything, but because he was a seasoned actor, it was so important that we bond and everything. 
So I have a special feeling for him because of our relationship on stage and all because of our roles. We were very, 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 very good friends, and we just adored each other. And I, I guess because of the genre of the play, because it was a joyful play and a happy play, and I'm, I'm learning on the job, it was just an incredible experience. And uh, I, I met Clifton Davis because um, our, our other star, Yvonne um, Nelson, who played my Aunt Missy, was a friend of Clifton's. And we met, and I fell in love with him, and he fell in love with me, and we had our own TV show. I mean, so you spark a whole bunch of things, but you have to mention them to me, or I won't go there. <laughs> oh, really? It's just interesting I mean, to see. My mind, my mind wouldn't be there, because I'm, that's so many years ago, I wouldn't be thinking about things like that. Well, you're doing some great things today. I mean, you've never stopped creating and, and evolving. What are you doing now? Well, I'm promoting my new album, Imagine. Wow. And producers, um, people you're working with now? My album? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what producers and people are you working with now on that album? All right. Well, uh, the uh, album is executive produced by my daughter. Her name is Charlie oh. Huggins. Wow. <laughs> it's a family. It's a real departure, but it's part of maturing, I think. I think it's wonderful. Awesome to be oh, able to work with your daughter. Yes. Well, and, and, and the way that it came about, because normally I would have songwriter, producer, offer me songs, which I, I have several songs out now that are very successful, besides this uh, current album that's just out. Uh, and, and it's already hit some uh, number one charts, so it's already been very well accepted. But the way that it happened was that I was doing other projects and touring and doing everything, and she would come to me and say, Mom, I've got this great song for you that Uncle Bo, her uncle, uh, who's the brother of, of my ex-husband, Charles Huggins, his name is Bo Huggins. He always uh, worked with our songwriters and producers to, uh, to, to, to help actually develop my recording career. So when she would tell me that he bought her a song, of course, I would listen. But then I would say, well, what am I going to do with it now? We're not, our, our business is not together. We're, I, I don't have any, I'm not really even in touch with him anymore. So she said, I don't know, but just, just try the song, go in the studio, we'll see what you think of it when it comes out. Well, the first song she brought me, um, I loved it. I thought I, I sound great. Production is great. So to make a long story a little bit shorter, she kept bringing me songs over a period of about two or three years. So I wasn't really paying attention to, to it because we didn't have a theme. We weren't trying to put an album together. We were just trying things and just forgetting about it and going on with our lives until we realized after two or three years that we probably had enough songs if we wanted to to put an album together. And, and so I said, well, you guys sequence it and put it put it together. That's not what I know how to do. I, I sang it. I think the songs are great. Then you tell me what you think. And they um, mastered them, sequenced them, and played it for me. I said, I think it's, it's a brilliant album. So why don't we put it out? So that's oh, how this came about. So, and, and you know, we... We did a lot of it during the time that the pandemic was, was uh, you know, at its height. So everything was shut down. So we just were doing it, you know, to keep busy. <laughs> but it's great that you're able to go get this great music out to those, not only fans, but even new fans. Right. It's, it's a whole fresh 
uh, approach because it's so diverse. Normally it would be a dance genre or jazz or R&B. Now there's some combinations. But you'd be very careful about the genre because you're pandering to a certain audience. But we didn't conceive it that way. And now with the Internet and with everything being global, you can have a million seller in one genre and nobody else in the world even knows you have it. So it's a whole different world that you're pandering to. So what we're seeing now is that people are embracing the entire album. And it has everything from um, jazz to what what feels like Broadway and just something that is... um, it might be something like Judy Garland might, might do to say thank you to my audience and my fans and my family, just a thank you. So I don't know what genre it would, it would fit in. Because we have to think about that. It was just a beautiful song. I'm excited. I want to hear it. This is awesome. We're really focusing on it because it's been received so well. I want to just uh, say imagine, imagine, imagine. Let everybody learn the name of it. Go um, download it. <laughs> Go stream it. Go buy it. It's on all the uh, digital um, platforms. It's on um, uh, YouTube, uh, on, you know, streaming everywhere and doing um, uh, all kinds of interviews, letting people know that I have an album. I'm doing other things. I want everybody to focus on the album because I think it could probably be the most successful album I've ever done. It's just a new environment now. It's new new uh, abilities to reach all kinds of people. But knowing that um, the Internet and the the world is easily accessible, but it's it's very diverse, I want to send the same message to everybody for a while before I tell you about all the other things I'm doing. Awesome. You're you're more than welcome to come back. You can find more information (laughs) about Melba Moore on her website. This has been such an honor of uh, having somebody who is a first in many ways. Uh, and I think that with this new album, I'm looking forward to it. I know many, not all of your long-term fans, you're going to get some new ones from this show, too. Yeah. Yes, I thank you, too, for exposing my, my album for me. Thank thank you so much, and you're welcome back anytime, and God bless you and yours, and, oh. hey, blessings, blessings, blessings. Back at you. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. God bless. Bye-bye.